0: 2,000 years ago, on a Friday, on a hill outside Jerusalem, Rome did what Rome had done many thousands of times before. Rome crucified a man. But this time, the victim was Jesus Christ. And in that terrible moment, the darkness of error and failure that affects everybody in the world, fell down upon Jesus to destroy him, body, and soul. That's the kind of world we live in. And we're all a part of it. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ shows all of us, those of us who think we're good and those of us who know we're bad, it shows all of us alike That when we look inside, we are to ask what part we have played in the drama of the Lord's death. After all, there is only one innocent character in that drama. And it isn't you, and it isn't me. For all of us, there is something in our lives that if it played out unchecked, We would be with those crucifying Jesus. Some habit of selfishness or fear. Some prejudice. Some guilt that we don't want to be brought out into the open and confronted. Some deficit in love or lovability. In some way, however small, we have all contributed to the death of Jesus. He is there on the cross because you and me... We are the way we are. And in that event so filled with sorrow and shame and agony, we hear the living water say, I thirst. We see the bread of life, hungering. The resurrection and the life, dying. The priest becoming the sacrifice. And the king of creation killed like a criminal. Can you see how exceedingly greedy death is? Here is death, an all-devouring foe with a ravenous appetite, its mouth wide open as it greedily licks up life, only taking, never giving. No one can escape its grip. Death never cries, Enough! as it pulls everything we know and love into the darkness and the dissolving of all things? That was Friday. But today is Easter Sunday. 2,000 years ago today, death was forced to finally cry out, enough, it couldn't hold God. Beyond all reckoning, the grave itself finally became a giver. Yielding before Jesus' infinite life, Jesus Christ overcame the greed of the grave. And the grave spewed forth the life-giving one, the sun, just like the great fish vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And in that moment, like a forest in the heart of an acorn, in his resurrection, the new creation lay in the heart of Jesus to be born for the entire cosmos. You see, the point of Easter is that when Jesus came out of the tomb, God's new creation was launched to a surprised world. And so the bedrock of what is going on in the resurrection of Jesus is not just the resurrection of Jesus, but it is the beginning of God's resurrection power being unleashed into this tired, death-infested world. In the resurrection of Jesus, we see what God is doing and will finally, ultimately do for every square inch of the cosmos. And I want to say three things about that this morning. First, I want to say a few things about the challenge of doubt when it comes to that. Second, I want to talk about the possibility of believing that, believing that Jesus rose from the dead and in his resurrection, all of creation has a new start and new creation has begun. And third, I want to talk about the responsibility of the hope that comes with the resurrection and the new creation. Let's start with the issue of doubt. Like I said, it can be hard to believe. One, that Jesus raised, God raised Jesus from the dead. And two, that in raising Jesus from the dead, a, a moment in history turned all of history. That something happened, that new creation had begun. I mean, just think about what we heard a few minutes ago in our gospel reading in Luke chapter 24. Think with me about some of the ways the first people responded when they encountered the resurrection. The first people who encountered it. For example, let's start with the women. At first, they're scared witless. And do you blame them? After all, how often have you seen someone raised from the dead? Death is final. You know that. I knew that. They knew that better than you know it. Did you know that up until the year 1500, if you survived birth, the average lifespan in the world was consistently... 24 years of age. They lived with death. It was all around them. It happened for their whole life among people they loved. You got married in your mid-teens because half your life was over and now you had to produce children because the world needed it to survive. And so your parents were dead when they were 24. Your parents died when you were 12. They knew death. You see, what I'm saying is it's wrong to think that when it comes to believing Jesus was raised from the dead, that it's a choice between an ancient, unsophisticated scientific worldview that didn't know people could die and wouldn't come back again. It's a flaw to think that that those were primitive people. They were easily believing in this sort of thing. And we, because of science, we know better. The ancient worldview of Homer, Plato, Cicero, and the rest had absolutely no room for resurrection. What is at stake when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus is not the clash between modern people who understand science and pre-modern people who hadn't yet learned the facts of life. No, it is a clash between a worldview that allows for a God of creation and justice and all the worldviews that do not. And then there are the apostles. When I see their skeptical response to the women when the women told them about the empty tomb and the angels and how they had put it all together with the teachings of Jesus, when I see the apostles cynically writing off the women as untrustworthy, it makes me think about our own world-weary tendencies. Haven't we all been jaded by the constant cycle of advertising and the constant spin For some people, when they hear me or the church or us saying, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. For some people, it can be nearly impossible to hear that as anything other than the unconvincing press release from some official source whose intention is to conceal the real story. I mean, isn't it getting more and more difficult for any of us to trust anything that claims to be the official version? But take The time to read the New Testament. Really read it. And you'll see the New Testament was written by people who, by writing what they did and believing what they did, they were making themselves less powerful. They were moving themselves out of the elite circles. The writers of the Bible were walking out into an unmapped territory. When they wrote these documents, they were moving away from the places of political and social and religious capital. They were moving away from traditional Jewish religion, from Roman society, and from Roman religion. They were putting themselves in a place where they shared the humiliation experienced by condemned criminals going naked in public to their execution. It's an elitist argument that says the Bible is written by an elitist group. Read the Bible. Really read it. And you'll see that this is not a collection of books with a single tight agenda that works on behalf of a powerful elite. You'll see that whatever else may be true, this is not something written by people for the sake of their own comfort and power. If it was, it was a spectacular failure. These writings were written by powerless Prayerful people who lost their entire careers and their entire identities, putting their life at daily risk because they believed this. And finally, we have Peter. And for Peter, there's another source of doubt. Not cynicism and not surprise. For Peter, the The engine of his doubt, it's the wounds of love. Just like some of you. You've lived, you've dreamed, and you've risked your heart trusting in someone or something only to have that person or thing fail you. And sometimes this is not simply disappointment, but it can come from a crushing encounter with the chaos and pain of our world. And when you've been hurt by love, the call to trust is no small thing. It's everything. Some of you just really can't be taken in again. Maybe you grew up in a church that let you down horribly. Either because you knew there were people in the church who weren't really living what they were professing. Or worse... Some of you came from a church where people used their position as a cloak for greed or lust or bullying. And I know others of you for whom the church, (laughs) right as you were coming into your intellectual awakening, the church seemed like a stale, dusty world of shrunken, sad, and shriveled humanness, right when you were discovering the beauty and the glory of life and literature and love and laughter, and when you finally went to a party where people really had fun instead of a Sunday school party. And so for these or other reasons, some people are just not ready to go back into that stifling little world where they felt so cramped. And so constrained. So right here in Luke's account. Of Jesus' resurrection. We can see some of the real. Difficulties. We can see the real doubts. About this idea. This claim. That we're making all morning long. That God raised Jesus from the dead. And when he did. New creation broke out in our universe. And yet. And yet. Despite All of this struggle to believe, and despite the fact that all of the disciples ran away from Jesus, and and lots of other people hated Jesus and hurt him, when all was said and done, neither the doubts, nor the running away, nor the hate, nor the hurt made a difference to what Jesus did. He kept his promise. Remember, verse 6, Luke 24, verse 6, He is not here, but is risen. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee, before the hurt, before you rejected Him, before you bailed on Him, before all of your, your, your kind of distancing yourself from Him, He told you that He would be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and He would be crucified, and on the third day, rise. He did it anyway. Now, just out of curiosity, do you keep your promise? When you're rejected, when you're abused, when you're hurt. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Even though he told them, hey, I'm about to go through this, they still abandoned him, they still hurt him, they still rejected him, and he still went through the most amazing kind of thing. And that is so encouraging because it means for you and me, when we run away and when we hate God and when we hurt God, God doesn't run away from us. When you are frightened and you want to run and you're thinking it is so hard to do the right thing and you're inclined to be unforgiving and hurtful and you're, you're aware that you've done wrong things, even in those moments, God does not run away from you. Easter is about God not running away. He doesn't run away on the cross. He didn't run away in the tomb. He brought Jesus back from the dead. You see, God is always faithful to his people. Even when we have to give, all we have to give him is rejection and contempt. And and I mean, just how many of you, don't raise your hand, but what if I ask people to raise their hand who you went through a whole season of your life blaspheming, dishonoring the Lord. And he was so faithful. This is what that first Easter morning begins to get across to those first witnesses of the resurrection. No human rejection can destroy God's promises. God's longing to be with those he loves is indestructible. Not even the torturing to death of Jesus can change Jesus' love. So whatever you've done, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of your wickedness however frightful, however unbelievable the things you have committed. Yes, they are a grave disease. But the doctor has mastered them. So don't worry about them. Turn to Jesus Christ in faith and they will be forgiven. Absolutely all of them will be totally forgiven. And this brings us to my second point. In face of all of the Overwhelming doubts you can have about the resurrection. There is still the possibility of faith in Jesus that God raised him to launch new creation. Are you ready to trust in Jesus? To trust in Jesus, do you know what that means? It means to have confidence that Jesus isn't out to further his own ends and deceive you. I mean, that's what it means for me to trust in my wife, Janelle. It means I trust that she's not out to deceive me. To trust in Jesus means you really believe. You put your confident trust in this view of him that he's not out to deceive you. And you believe that what you see in Jesus and what you hear from Jesus is always true. To say you believe in Jesus is to say, I take refuge in Jesus. Jesus is where I belong. Jesus is who I have confidence in to keep me safe. Jesus is where I find the anchorage of my life. It's where I, he is where I find solid ground. He is home for me. And when you and I do that, when we lean our life and trust on Jesus in that way, we discover that the crucifixion clears the ground. It establishes God's presence in the middle of our lives. See, this is is the thing. All through the Old Testament, if, um, if you had a skin disease and you bumped up into somebody, they were made unclean. Even if they had just come from worship, contamination trumps consecration all through the Old Testament. But suddenly... When contamination bumped into the Lord of life, purity, cleanliness, holiness, forgiveness, it went the other way for the first time ever. We had a greater energy, a greater power. The life giver had showed up. The source of all that is good and true and beautiful. The source of all life and love. And so when you turn in him to faith, suddenly all your brokenness and uncleanness, it touches something more powerful that washes back over you. God's, he establishes his presence in the midst of your life, in the worst of our world, and all the weight of our sin is not enough to crush the eternal love of God. And so the resurrection is in part about the sheer toughness of God's love. When we have done our worst, God remains the God of love. Jesus is the groom to every bride. He is the one who completes every human life. Won't you choose to belong to the life giver? And that brings me to my third main point, which is the way the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes us into people of hope who bear the responsibilities of hope. You see, with Easter, God has opened before us a strange world. An unmapped new land full of possibilities. Easter says, welcome to God's new world right in the middle of the old world. And there are two important results of this for us to learn. Number one, it's going to sound at first quite simplistic, but just number one, the world really can change. If the resurrection is about an all-important, decisive, central moment around which the whole of history, the whole of the world pivots and turns in a new direction, if something has happened within history that has made a new moment possible, if it has altered what was possible to believe that the world can change, that God can turn history on its pivot. Is to believe that in all sorts of situations, it is possible for things to be different. The resurrection launches us into the new and mysterious realm where victorious mercy and inexhaustible love make the rules. As Christians, we know that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has launched the new creation... And so we know that the way things are in the world is not the way they have to be. And so we're responsible. This is my point. Is that makes us responsible. It makes us responsible to go into those places and environments of the darkest despair. Where people do not believe that change is possible. And they do not believe that God's rules can already be real in their hearts and their lives right now. It means that we bear the responsibility of going into the very darkest places. And saying, you know what? New creation is available. God has brought his future kingdom back into the present. And the past can't swallow it. And when we we are faced with the terrible deadlocks of mutual hatred and suspicion. With rival stories of suffering and atrocity. We go into those places. And we pray for God to open hearts to the resurrection hope. Hope. Of Jesus Christ. And we go into places where people don't want things to change. Not only where people don't think they can change. But we also bear the responsibility of going to the places where people don't want change. That means we bear the responsibility of becoming a nuisance. Because that's how that plays out. Have you ever worked at a place where things are a way they don't have to be? And you wanted to hold that up? You become a nuisance. The Roman Empire was in many ways a very efficient and comprehensive and well-run organization. And then Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And the efficient, comprehensive, well-run organization did not have room for the new creation. And so Christianity became a major nuisance to the Roman Empire. Like it became a major nuisance to the Third Reich. Like it became a major nuisance to the Soviet Union. Like it became a major problem in China and in Sudan and in Rwanda. And like it needs to be in the United States. But what about where you live and where you work? And where you go to school, are you bearing the responsibility of the hope of the resurrection? Have you been conned into believing that because it is, it will be? The world really can change. Number two, a second responsibility is this. You really can change too. One of the wonderful things that Christianity always says to human beings is in absolutely any situation, there is more to you than you think. Parents, we have a responsibility to say this to our children. There is more to you than you think there is. And teenagers, you have a responsibility to say this to your friends. Now, don't get me wrong. I am absolutely not talking about that awful sentimental modern nonsense that says you can be anything you want to be. You can't. Everybody knows that's a lie, except the people who don't. And it just, uh, who, who, how can that be? What I am talking about is that Easter shows us that the way things are is not the way they are destined to be. Under God, with wisdom, discernment, and courage, you can change. And you bear that responsibility. We can live differently than we do. God can rule in our lives now. You can hear from God and you can draw down on all of heaven into your life. And new creation can break out in your life. What I'm saying is that God is never at the end of his resources merely because we are at the end of our resources. So through the great emptiness, the empty tomb, and the stone moved aside, through that God came through and made a difference in the world. And so we Christians have a responsibility to go into the dark places of our own lives and of our city And of our world, and hold open that door, and keep the door of grace open to remind people that again and again God comes in, God is free to come in. We must learn to say to one another things are possible that you don't even really know about yet. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was crucified. And in the words of John Chrysostom, the fourth century Archbishop of Constantinople, hell took a body and discovered it had taken God. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took what it saw and was overcome by what it did not see. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? You see, in Jesus' death and resurrection, God's new world has begun. And all people everywhere are gladly invited to come in, to join the party, to discover forgiveness for the past, an astonishing destiny in the future, and a vocation in the present. What vocation? The vocation of bearing hope. It's a job. It's number one on your job description. Bear hope. Bear it in your own life. Bear it in the dark places. Don't take the easy career. Don't take the safe route. Christians should always be on the front lines. We should always be at the coal face. And if you find yourself wanting, wanting that what, that what I'm saying is true, but not knowing if you can actually believe it or not. I'll close with this. The way you can know that Jesus' resurrection is true is not by some final knockdown would-be scientific proof. The way you can know that Jesus' resurrection is true is by the way it works in us through the long story of a whole life and the longer story Of the life of a community that believes it. We learn the truth of Jesus' resurrection. By risking the living of it. And so. If you find yourself. On the edge of Christianity. Looking in. I can only say. You'll learn nothing more by looking. You have probably learned all you will learn. At some point, you have to decide whether you're going to try to live it or not. And I hope that you do. Because when you bump into life, he'll pollute you with life. And every other road is death. Christ rose from the dead. New creation has been born into this world. Let's pray.